Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying only on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert Monday through Friday, 
I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email me directly at rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. You can also find the show on Twitter and on Facebook. We have no other social media presence or websites that we utilize. You can listen to the show, though, for free on any radio or podcast player where some of you might be listening right now. I ask you to please leave us a review on whatever platform that is. It doesn't cost you anything. It just takes you a moment. Leave us a little review, a couple of stars, whatever you think we deserve. I'd really appreciate that extra promotion of the broadcast. You can also find the free archive on the website or subscribe to the ad-free version of the show at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's .info. You'll find our website, which hopefully over the next couple of weeks, the next month or so, the website should start looking a little bit differently. But I'll tell you more about that as the month goes on. Heading into February, last day of January today, January 31st, 2023, January went really, really fast, I thought, and I'm sure February will go just as fast. We have a lot of fun, I think, in uh, February planned. I'm going to be on a lot of shows. I'll be guesting on a lot of shows, and uh, specifically and particularly around uh, the Super Bowl weekend. As you know, we do our famous Super Bowl show here and our Super Bowl show on Ground Zero, so that's something, of course, to look forward to. Tonight, however, we are going to look into a subject that many of you might not have ever heard of, and if you have, you might not know much about it. But before we can get to that, I need to address one of the core foundational pillars of what the Secret Teachings radio show is all about, and that is exploring everything, but doing so through the lens and the oracle that is history and also what we term, generally speaking, religion. Religion, whether it's institutional religion or it's the religion or theological dogma of politics and certain belief systems, culturally, socially, politically, etc., a lot of things can become religion-like or cult-like. And just because something is cult-like doesn't mean that it's negative or doesn't mean that people are going to castrate themselves or drink Kool-Aid or something like that. Cults are not always negative. Uh, And dogma and doctrine are not always negative things. But the point is, religion is one of those foundational pillars of what the secret teachings is all about. Theology, mythology, history. I like to look at the world and current events through those lenses. Like last night, we talked about the statue in New York on the Supreme Court building and the relationship that that statue shares with certain gods or goddesses, certain spirits, and how that symbol, that statue, invokes those energies as well as the energies of things that are secondary. So, for example, the statue of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a statue that represents her life, supposedly, although it doesn't look like her, but it also is a symbol of abortion, officially. But the statue is standing on a lotus flower. Now, if you know anything about Buddhism, or if you know anything about Eastern religion, you'll know that the lotus flower usually has eight petals, like the eight-spoked wheel of Ishtar, and it represents the eight directions in the three-dimensional world, and it represents 
the conquering of matter over the spirit. So how could you use a symbol of spirit conquering matter when that symbol is being used to symbolize the destruction of spirit and the destruction of matter for that matter? Abortion, that's what it represents. How can you use such a spiritual symbol to represent something that is fundamentally anti-spiritual? Unless the goal is to invoke those dark, heavy, Lilith-like energies, which are energies of abortion and chaos and destruction. So if we understand mythology or a little bit of history or whatever the subject might be, theology, you name it, we can apply that to current events, which is what we do on the show uh, week in and week out, night in and night out. We did this last time on the broadcast. That's really the foundational core of what The Secret Teachings is all about. And over the years, I've also done shows, and I've actually had a lot of people message me when I've done, done these particular shows, uh, telling me that they, they appreciate the fact that I've covered, for example, Islam in a way that is harmonious with the Islamic faith. And what I mean and what they mean, people that have emailed me about this, is that uh, what they mean by that is Islam is not a faith that is, I, I suppose, from a Western perspective, and I, I certainly have a Western perspective, uh, that Islam is this barbaric uh, religion of, well, after 9-11, people just thought it was a group of terrorists, which is so ignorant. But that's not what Islam is. If you read the Quran, and I've got a copy of a Quran, I remember, I remember when I bought it like 12 years ago, I remember the woman at Barnes & Noble asked me, she's like, why would you want to read a Quran? It's like, first of all, you work at Barnes & Noble, okay? And she asked it in an accusatory way. I was like, because I don't want to be ignorant. <laughs> I don't want to be an ignorant p person who asks questions like, why would you want to read that book, you know? So, like, first of all. Second of all, it's like, I would like to maybe better myself and obtain perspective. Isn't that what books are all about? You work at a, back to number one, you work at a bookstore. So, if you read the Quran, you'll notice that a lot of the same, what we would call maybe Christian characters or Judeo-Christian characters are also in the Quran. And if you speak to a, like an, I say an honest Muslim, someone who's not rabid about their faith and they're, and, and even violent about rejection of their faith or opposition to their faith, then a, a, an honest Muslim will tell you that they believe virtually the same thing that Christians and even Jews for that matter believe. So Islam, although in the West we treat it as this kind of heathenistic, barbaric, violent religion, it's not really that. And in the same way that there are a lot of people that just fundamentally hate Christians. Personally, I can't figure out why that is. Maybe it's the, the Bible thumper Christians. But generally speaking, Christians are kind. Christians are generous. Christians are, are um, facilitating honest Christians though, but you can find a lot of Christians who are just kind of nasty, disgusting people the same way that you could find a lot of Muslims. It doesn't describe or define the Muslim faith or the Christian faith in the same way that you can find plenty of Jewish people that fulfill the negative Jewish stereotype. That doesn't mean that all Jews fulfill that stereotype. Then we go to some other religions that maybe, you know, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are things that we've all we've all experienced, interacted with, or, I mean, if you're a Christian, Christians really love to have this affiliation with, with Judaism and with the state of Israel, so it becomes political. But let's say you go to look at the religion of Hinduism, 
uh, which when our friend Jordan Maxwell was still alive, when he would come on the show, he would talk about how Hinduism, and he's right, was one of the one of the pillars, one of the foundations, one of the basis for all other major world religions. Now, if you go and you look at what Hinduism is, I'm not talking about cheap uh, modern Hinduism, which is a dime a dozen. If you go to any vegan restaurant, they all act like they're Hindus. Everybody's got a statue of Ganesh. Everybody's got Buddhist prayer flags. Like, 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 you're, like you're really a Hindu, like you're really a, a Buddhist. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a restaurant here in Tucson I go to. It, it's not in any way, shape, or form promoting spirituality, but it's vegan technically. They do have cheese, but it's vegan technically, plant-based, and they've got like six Ganesh statues. Statue. <laughs> I just don't get it. I don't get this obsession with Ganesh. I bet you can't even tell me. I asked somebody one time in a restaurant I went to in Florida. They had the Ganesh statues, and I said, "Do you do you do you even know what Ganesh represents?" I mean, it's not that I'm I'm a genius and I'm so, so much smarter than everybody else, and I know what these things mean because I don't know what everything means. But I just you see that everywhere, and you wonder. Everybody that opens up a vegan restaurant is Hindu and they and they believe in Ganesh. I find that really hard to believe. I don't see how the two things go together. But it's just this appeal in the West. That's why we, we like those things because of the the idea of the you know the spiritual aspects of Buddhism or Hinduism and 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 they're they're coming from a, a central source. Buddhism is coming from the same place that Hinduism is coming from. But if you look at modern India, which is is like a, a billion Hindus or something. There's so many, so many Indian people. So you have this country that has a caste system. It has a very strict, very rigid class system where you are either part of the big club or you ain't part of the big club. Uh, a country where the mass majority of people live in some form, some description, some definition of poverty and live literally, I've never been to India, but I've talked to a few people, friends of mine who have been to India, and they say it's pretty much, depending on where you go, it's pretty much as bad as they, as they say it is. It's literally just slums of poor people living on top of each other. And uh, as a side note, that's actually where you get most of the outbreaks of smallpox and things like this, because it's terrible conditions there's no hygiene there's no waste disposal it's you're literally living in urine and feces and blood and dead bodies and it's it's really disgusting bad slums you think slums in america are bad go to india and they're reportedly much much worse so it's hard to imagine how a country like india with this caste system first of all isn't ever brought up in the conversation of race or discrimination i mean it's these people discriminate against their own kind uh, and separate them and break them into you know classes. And if you're not in the club, you're not in the club. So it's hard to imagine that a country like that, which is you say country, you're talking about nationality, you're talking about the politics, the ruling elite, the, cl the class system that India has. But if you go back far enough to what is referred to as the Sarasvati civilization, which is the Indus Valley area, likely has some connections to ancient Sumer, uh, and, and Babylon. And this, this civilization or this culture was, at least from an archaeological perspective, very advanced. And the Hindu quote-unquote faith and a lot of the Indian and Hindu scriptures and texts, like the Vedas, for example, 
they come from a time that is incomprehensible. Like the, 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 the Vedas that we know that you can go to the store and buy a copy. There's so many books. They're just a massive, massive compilation of material. Those texts go back to a time when although they might have been written down in recent history, like the last few thousand years, and then translated over the last couple hundred years, they actually go back much, much further. Because it was a practice in what we call India today, or the Indus Valley, just like it is around the world and other cultures, to maintain certain religious, theological dogmas, beliefs, mythology, stories, not on text, even if people could write or read to some extent, but it was customary to preserve them in, in stories where you would have elders, like, you know, you have priests, elders, whatever, who are who are able to recite the entirety. This is all they do, the entirety of that particular text, all from memory. So these things were written down more recently, and then we, we get them today in the modern translations. They're certainly not what, what they were probably 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But what I'm getting at here, the point I'm getting at, is if you look at India's caste system and you look at the slums and you look at the, the, the way that people are separated and, and abused and how people are so poor in a country like this, but you look at their spiritual practices and they're arguably the foundation for most world religions and not just the foundation for institutional religion, certainly not that, but for the spiritual side of things. And, and you, I mean, at least I do, I wonder how can you get a country that's so culturally backwards, that's so culturally barbaric. I'm not saying all of India is, but the, the general you know, theme of India is, is it's a caste system. It's a class system. It's cl class war, perpetually. Not communism, but class classism. So you, how, how can that country have birthed all these beautiful practices? It's almost like the culture of India has declined substantially from a time period when the way that things are today, that's how they should have been 10, 15,000 years ago. But it's like today, or I mean, I guess depending on your archaeological, your archaeological evidence you're looking at, not that far back, but several thousand years, it's almost like India has become more barbaric, more dirty, more disgusting, and less harmonious with nature. When their their base religion, Hinduism, is the very opposite of that. How how do we get to that point? In the same way that if you look at China, I mean, we know more recently the class system imposed by the Communist Party and what happened to the Chinese people and the Chinese culture because of communism and because of the Cultural Revolution of Mao in the 60s and 70s. So we can see that more recently, like within the lifetime of some of you who are listening to this show right now. But Chinese history is also filled with the same types of spiritual practices that Indian history is. And whether we're talking about Buddhism or Confucius or any other tradition that is, is less well-known, the spiritual practices are, I would say, very advanced for time periods in which they should have been people banging sticks and rocks together as far as our, our historians and archaeologists and anthropologists tell us. But they had vastly superior spiritual practices hundreds, thousands of years ago than today, where if you're in China and you'd like to meditate in the park, there's a good chance you're going to live your, lose your liver or your kidney because they'll come and they'll take you and this is not a joke or an exaggeration. They will extract your organs and kill you. 
that's just it's not a disputable debatable thing and that's for practicing like basically yoga or prayer or meditation in public that's how they 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 persecute and prosecute people so countries like india countries like china with these vast reservoirs of spiritual knowledge or wisdom are some of the most backwards barbaric classist and every other form of isterism places on the planet how is that possible it doesn't make a lot of sense and we can look at america and think and 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 consider the same thing how can a country founded on principles of true equality a noble experiment of justice is blind everybody has rights it doesn't matter who you are how can a country founded on that turn into a country that is fundamentally now run by emotions of what someone looks like or identifies as which is also the basis of what marxism is and if you if you read my book liberty shrugged i explain partly why this is not from a theological point of view it's largely because you had people in the, the early days of the foundation of this country late 1700s more so into the early 1800s where they did not like the idea that everybody was created equal they wanted to maintain their hierarchy of slavery or whatever it was when that was not just black people it's also white endangered servants and things like this which go all the way back to virginia in the 1600s there were white young white girls that were kept as slaves and and they served white masters or anybody and there were there were plenty of slaves who served black masters it's so the point is there were people that wanted to maintain that and they were in opposition to the idea that everybody had rights everybody was equal everybody was free if we continue down the road that we're on here in america then it's not just certain groups of people that will continue to be discriminated against in the name of equality everybody becomes discriminated against because of some identity or some perceived uh, micro transgression of of the past or something you posted on social media 30 years ago what's going to happen is we're developing more and more a class system like india whether you think that or not this is my perspective so take it for what it is we're developing a class system in the united states and i'm not just talking about the wealthy and the poor i'm talking about a eugenics like class cult system where people in charge not only get to rule over you they get to ter- determine who lives and who dies that's the bottom line so what's happening to america is the same thing with india it's the same thing with with china i'm choosing large relatively powerful countries as examples especially india india's a great example because they have the foundation of most major world religions in india how is it that countries or nationalities or how is it that re- that that places cultures with these powerful uh, uh, teachings powerful wisdom powerful morals and ethics and virtues and lessons how can they devolve into what we have today that the point of religion is to maintain harmony it's to maintain balance it's to maintain the things that if we don't have them you see clearly what happens to society things fall apart you get more crime you get more violence you get more abuse you get more corruption you get more of all the bad stuff if you have those guidelines or those restrictions on what is considered socially acceptable you could perceive them as relative certainly but there has to be 
a guideline on what is right or wrong, not just as far as the law is concerned, the, 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 the laws of man, if you will, but the laws of God and the laws of nature. And if you don't have some idea of, of, of a higher power or universal force or spirits or something that is beyond the human world, the whole point of religion is to have that to maintain order in the physical world. Otherwise, order is maintained with a gun, with a sword, with a baton, and with the fear of what happens if you don't do what the state wants you to do. So th- this is at least the idea of religion, the idea of, you know, within the study of religion. Uh, and it, I mean, it's mi- a mixture of, of cultural practices, of, of theological things, dogmas. Uh, it, pretty much everything you can mix together is incorporated into religion in some way, shape, or form. So if you have a, a, a good, harmonious with nature, harmonious belief system, then you are beholden not to the state, you are beholden to God. And that, of course, is a threat to the state. So over hundreds, over thousands of years, those with power or those that wish to obtain power, they worked and did successfully uh, a, a great job in decimating practices that are ancient that have kept cultures and societies together. And that's in my opinion, one of the reasons in which you see, I mean, in a lot of it's just perspective because of what you watch on the news, but you see it seems like the whole world is falling apart. The further we get from harmony with nature, the further we get from what we might call God, the further we get from spiritual practices, this is what's going to happen. And that doesn't mean you have to pray, you have to go to church, you have to go to synagogue, you have to do this or that. It just means, well, again, harmony, balance. Uh, maintaining some form of, uh, of a moral compass, uh, taking care of yourself, uh, you know, making sure that you're, you're trying to do the right thing even when nobody's looking. That makes the world a better place. Abandoning that makes the world, uh, well, a worse place, a more negative place, a more dangerous place, et cetera, et cetera. So tonight, I want to share with you something I've been studying recently. I want to share with you some of what I've learned And it's very applicable not only to what I've just described, but also to the secret teachings in general. And that is the, can't really call it a religion, can't really call it a faith, can't really call it, certainly can't call it a dogma or a doctrine. But that is the practice of what is called Shinto or Shintoism. Shintoism is considered the indigenous practice or belief system, if you will, of Japan and it is partly rooted in Buddhism, but it has its own flavor. It has its own uh, system of veneration. Uh, there's no founder. There's no God. There's no devil. There's no heaven. There's no hell, although these, these are concepts that do exist, of course, in Japanese society. But it has no religious texts. It is no doctrine. It's just a system of pra- a practice. It is a system of veneration. And I want to share with you some of that tonight because I think it is it is not only, again, applicable to the observation of religion and society and the deterioration of societies like in India, for example, from a point of spiritual um, a point of spiritual apex, if you will, in the past, but it also is really, uh, I think, similarly related and closely related to what we call the secret teachings, uh, such as living resurrection and the way, spiritual practices, what Jesus taught, etc. It's all embodied in Shintoism. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere.
It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Dot Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable. You know you can always listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Dot Radio. I don't need it. And for free in the monetized archives on our website or on any radio or podcast player. I don't need it. But you can also help support the show by subscribing to the ad-free archive with montages, digital books, and a private RSS feed. I definitely don't need it. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today. I need support economically and energetically will keep us on air into the future. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. are listening to the secret teachings radio i'm your host ryan gable something peculiar has been sort of eating away my brain recently some of the stuff i've been reading ancient civilization anthropology religion mythology things like that and i noticed that i mean most of you know this that india has the caste system and it's almost as if their society is living in the dark ages for the most part unless you're in the upper echelons you know the slums of india are very famous infamous even uh the amount of suffering and poor people and disease in places that in the modern world you shouldn't have these kinds of diseases and things like that and that's not because of lack of vaccines it's because of the lack of hygiene and waste management and proper intake of food and even access to food at all let alone clean food and water it's weird because India has a vast tradition of spiritual practices which are the very opposite of a caste system or a class system. The very opposite of allowing people to live in those conditions, especially your own people and your own country. But it's the same kind of a thing in China. China has a vast history of spiritual practices. And now today, although China has entered into the 21st century, and they've become less communistic in some ways because that a truly communistic system not only doesn't work, but it, it works backwards and destroys everything. So you see the same thing in China, 
where the Chinese traditions and culture have been for the most part decimated and traditional spiritual practices. I mean, that's for, whether it's Buddhism, it's it's uh, uh, Fulong Gong or it's Confucian or uh, Confucianism, whatever it is. It's the same kind of a thing. It's all been obliterated and it's I mean, even it's persecuted and prosecuted even in China. But their history is vast and wise and. I mean, I don't think, and I don't think it's every culture. It's just, it's, it's a lot of cultures, especially those that have produced like Hinduism, Buddhism, and so on and so forth, which are the foundations of most major world religions. Hinduism is the foundation really for Christianity. I mean, Krishna is Christos. Uh, his father was a carpenter. And if you read about the story of Krishna, you're getting a very Jesus-like prototype. And Buddhism is obviously more of a lifestyle than a religion, but it is the foundation for many spiritual practices and faiths and beliefs and lifestyles and philosophies today. It's a very powerful religion. So, or philosophy or belief system, whatever you choose to call it. And we're seeing something similar here in the United States. This country wasn't founded on Christianity per se, but on the idea of God and it's the idea of God that gave man rights so that man couldn't devise his own set of rights, which are basically that the powerful have rights and the rest of the people don't have rights. That's why we have God. That's what it means to be based on Christianity or religion. This, isn't, this, isn't, this was never a Christian country. This was a country founded on everybody's welcome as long as you participate. That's the experiment. So... You're seeing a similar thing happen to America today. And Christians are right when they say that when you remove, you know, uh, religious uh, practices in schools, not that the school needs to teach you religion. So I might disagree with Christians on that. But when you remove the idea of God or a higher power, then that power is usurped conceptually by by corrupt people, by uh, by the state, um, by corporations even state and corporate control and that's why you see today you see everything from climate change to vaccines whatever it's all religious taking your vaccine is a sacrament and i'm not exaggerating about that this isn't hyperbole wearing a mask is like wearing a certain piece of religious garb it's like wearing the 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 headpiece in judaism it's like wearing a christian cross it's like wearing, uh, depending on what your religion is, it's like wearing the bindi, the red dot. It's like, you know, perhaps wearing the Buddhist uh, priest robes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's garb, it's sacrament. Again, climate change, I mean, everything. It's not just climate change or vaccines. Those are hot topics. It's virtually everything political is made religious, because God and religion and spirituality have been usurped by powerful forces that, that wish to be God. Uh, they wish to replace the natural world with, with their version of reality. And I don't just mean replacing organics with synthetics and transhumanism and all that. I mean, a lot of this is, is more of a spiritual thing. So recently I've been, I've been thinking about that, and I've been reading a lot about ancient civilization um, anthropology, mythology, and I came across a, a very thorough and simple study of Shintoism, which is tr traditionally the indigenous, it's not really religion, it's not really a faith, 
It's more of a practice, maybe a way of life, kind of like Buddhism. And it comes from Buddhism. And Buddhism also shares a relationship with Hinduism, as I said, which is the foundation for Christianity, Islam, Judaism, etc. As our friend Jordan Maxwell used to point out, Shintoism is not only the indigenous practice of the Japanese. Shintoism is a practice that even if you've never heard of Shintoism, you'll find many of the practices in Shintoism familiar. And one thing that stands out about Shintoism or Shinto, 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 is that they don't have a God. They don't have a devil. They don't have a heaven. They don't have a hell. Although these are concepts, obviously, that, that exist in Japan and Japanese society. But they don't have any of those things. And they don't have religious texts. Now, they have texts that are maybe more recent um, that are more so a combination of certain mythologies and uh, I, like certain family lineages, chronologies, and things like that. But there, there, is no, there is no Bible in Shinto. There is no God, devil. There is no heaven. There is no hell. The only thing there is in Shinto is, you've probably seen them, they're very, very famous, uh, the gateway or the portal into the world of what they call the kami. Not communist, but the kami, K-A-M-I, is the Roman, Roman or the Romanji version of it. It's kami. And the kami are spirits. And those spirits could be spirits of everything from your ancestors to spirits of a certain location, like the woods or a sacred mountain or a sacred cave or whatever, wherever. They could be spirits of a particular clan in Japanese history. So like a group of people, a particular family, a ruling, a ruling family, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, there's also kami, which again are spirits that are um, extensions of certain practices. Like for example, there's a kami of or, or you, it's not like a specific kami that you can identify like a goddess, like Isis or something, but it's a concept. There's a kami of pouring mizu, which is water. There's a kami of certain foods or certain practices. So it's everything from the natural world to the imperial family to certain clans historically and traditionally to your ancestors to certain practices. There's kami of everything, which means that this indigenous Japanese tradition or practice or philosophy or way of life, it's actually called the way, because kami, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, kami is, is basically the way, uh, and not just the Japanese way, which is shikata, but it's the way of the spirits, the way of the spirit world. And that, that idea is something that, I said that you can find a parallel here. Uh, that idea is similar to, well, Christianity and maybe even a little Judaism or Islam because you have this idea of the way. You follow the way of the prophet Muhammad, the way of Allah. You follow the way of uh, the, the Abrahamic uh, fathers. You follow the way of Christ. I mean, Jesus is probably most famous for saying that he is the way, the truth, and the light and also the life. Some people get that confused. It's like Family Guy. Did, did Stewie say F and cry or laugh and cry? Some people get that confused. And I've said it I've said it incorrectly myself. It's Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. He's also the life. Or the way, the truth, and the life. He's also the light. 
He's all those things. But that's what you find in, in Shinto as well. The kami are the way. You follow the way of the spirits, the way of your ancestors, the way of the unseen world as it moves the, with the wind, the trees, and it moves uh, with the current, the water, and, and things like this. So one thing that you probably already know about Shinto is the tori. The tori is T in Romanji, T-O-R-I-I. So that'd be tori, but you pronounce it tori. So the tori is what you'll see in a lot of Japanese restaurants. You'll see it in a lot of like I, there's there's a tori around here in Tucson that's just randomly in a parking lot somewhere. I don't I don't think there's anything even remotely close to Japanese like a like a restaurant or anything. It's just there's just a tori in a parking lot here somewhere in Tucson. Uh, but you'll see them obviously if you go to. Um, uh, I mean, I think Buddhists use them too. You go to like a Buddhist temple. I went to a Buddhist temple once. They had something similar to a tori. It, it's basically two pillars, and then there's a top bar, and then you get that classical Japanese curve at the top. You've all seen a tori, and if you haven't seen one or you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, just type in T-O-R-I-I, tori, and it means gateway or entrance. Uh, literally the translation is not gateway or entrance because it, it's more of like, um, bird perch. Uh, Tori is not with two eyes, but Tori is, uh, uh, bird or because like fowl or something like that in Japanese. So it basically means bird perch, uh, something to that effect, but it is a, it is a gateway and it's a gateway to the other side to the world of the kami, to the world of the spirits. So in essence, the, the, you've probably walked through a lot of toris. What it is is not only a gateway, but it is that ritualistic, symbolic thing that helps you to transcend the physical in your communication, in your worship, in your honoring, in your veneration. And it's not so much worship. It's, it's more veneration and honoring the spirits. It's not dogmatic. It's not doctrinal it's not um religious in in the way that in the west we see religion as this institutional thing it's not institutional like that so you walk through this and you're you enter the world it helps you to imagine you're entering the world of of the spirits that's what the tori represents and then you go down the the pathway uh into the shrine and a a, a classical typical shrine although they're all very different and you can have your own shrine in your, in your home, very small one, but a large shrine has a number of facilities for cleansing and purifying in Shinto. You, whether you're at home and you wake up and you do your rituals at home or you do them in a shrine, you wash off the tips of your fingers and you wash out your mouth, especially when you get up in the morning, you do this and then you go to the shrine and uh, you, you pray or you say something that comes to mind to your, you could have a shrine, a general Shinto shrine, or you could have a, an ancestral Shinto shrine, or you could have both. Um, and depending on how much time you have, you do other things. There's a procedure of bowing. Uh, and one thing you might know about Shinto already is the clapping of the hands. That's meant to open and end the, the tiny ritual. It's meant to um, alert the kami to your presence and then also to relieve them of, of their, of their duties, it's really your duties, but to relieve them of their duties after, after you've worshiped at the shrine. So 
These are things that for some people, and I have a very Christian perspective because I grew up a Christian. I'm not a Christian now, but for some people might seem very superstitious, but they're, I promise you, they're not much different than, than the religion that you practice or that you believe in. In fact, a lot of what Shintoism is, is it's the same thing that, that uh, you probably practice just maybe done in a less dogmatic way. The one thing that, that fascinates me about Shinto is that Japan until like the mid-1800s was, at least in the more modern world, completely cut off from the rest of the world. Like we, I mean, not in my lifetime or in your lifetime, but within your par- your grandparents' generation, like if you're older, you know, you could be elderly, like in your parents' and grandparents' generation, you go back to the 1800s, like people were, people were for the first time getting to see what Japan was. And at one point, Japan even completely shut their borders to, I think, everybody. There was like one Dutch outpost that they allowed to operate in Japan. But Japan shut their borders to everybody because they saw the rest of the world as a threat to their, what is even in Asia, a very, very unique culture. Very, very unique. So we've only got to see Japan more recently, which in the larger time frame of things is, is not much time at all. And much of what the Japanese, the indigenous Japanese practiced are things that are practiced in a lot of other religions. They just are done in maybe a slightly different way. So humans are seen and interacting with the world and the spirit realm in slightly different ways. But for the same reason, we're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for protection from the unseen, whether that's God, whether that's Allah, whether that's the Kami or the various Hindu gods. We're looking for protection. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. It's all kind of the same thing. Now, there are countless religions, countless faiths, countless doctrines, countless dogmas, countless cults, and the like, all throughout the world. And some may qualify to be termed religion, while others cults. Often the two overlap each other, although a cult is not necessarily a dark and sinister organization. You get the Jim Jones type cults, you get the John of God type cults, you get the Nexium type cults, but those cults are sort of different cults. It's just a word that means veneration of, a, of an object or a thing. I mean, if you're venerating, if you're honoring Jesus Christ and all that you do, then you're part of a cult. But that doesn't mean that you're drinking Kool-Aid. It doesn't mean that you're forcing or being forced to have sex with some cult leader. It's not what it means. So Christianity is without a doubt, a cult. Islam is without a doubt, a cult. Judaism is without a doubt, a cult, a very magical, mystical cult. But that doesn't mean that Judaism and Islam and Christianity are, are negative things. I mean, for, for that matter, it's not a joke when people say that when, you know, people that like certain kinds of cars or certain kinds of gaming systems, you know, we used to have that debate in high school is, is the Xbox or the PlayStation better? Which group are you in? I was always in the PlayStation group. I always liked the PlayStation better than Xbox. But that's a cult because you're you're focused on a on a on a central object or thing that you you reject everything else. This is this is the most important. This is the best. That's a cult. Republicans are in a cult. Democrats are in a cult. Independents are in a cult. Christians are in a cult. It's all it's all cult like. It's just a system of religious veneration directed at a figure or an object. Likewise, a doctrine may be associated with a religion or faith, even if it has no other religious affiliation. 
you know, uh, if you believe in a particular doctrine, which is a set of practices, a set of beliefs, could be religious. You could have faith in that doctrine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a religion. As a set of beliefs that are held and sometimes taught to others, what doctrine amounts to is simply a way of thinking or living. So a doctrine is basically a practice. And you don't even have to have it written down for it to be a system of, of living, a system of uh, philosophy. Like Buddhism is a doctrine, although Buddhism doesn't have much of a doctrine. And Shintoism. Shintoism is definitely doctrinal, but they have no written doctrine per se. Now, you could see a doctrine separately from the rigidity of dogma as a philosophy to be experienced and lived rather than followed. So it's more of a lifestyle, which is what a lot of people will say Buddhism. Buddhism is more of a lifestyle. Uh, it's more of a way of living and interacting with the world. And certainly there are people that claim to be Buddhists or maybe they are Buddhists, but they don't really live that lifestyle. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't really condemn all of Buddhism for that. And just because someone says they're a Christian, we, we shouldn't just condemn all Christianity because some people don't act like Christians. The point is, these words, which are just attempts to explain, to label, etc., the spiritual nature of existence, are unsatisfactory in explaining certain philosophies. Uh, again, Buddhism is a religion, sort of, and a philosophy, but fundamentally it's just a state of being. It's the idea of knowing thyself and doing things in life that are harmonious and that resonate with the natural world. So when we look at any kind of spiritual or um, otherworldly, if you will, something that is non-corporeal, non-physical, we look at any other realm, any other idea, dimension of thought, we have to be willing to walk away from definitions and particularly from the etymology that we employ in attempting to define those things that we maintain as belief. You can have a belief in a lot of things. It doesn't mean you believe in dogma, doctrine, religion, or you have a faith. You can have a belief in certain things. You could have faith in those things, but still not believe in a certain religion. Um, some people just follow dogma. They don't even necessarily believe it. So these words all mean something different. That's not to say that words are in opposition to the divine. On the contrary, words, which are symbols that we express in writing and with sound, are the foundational elements of creation. Think about the word of God. The word of God. Esotericists and occultists, myself included, I define the word of God, maybe a spoken word, symbolically, but if you think about what a spoken word is, Break down words, break down the letters and the sounds. It's just vibration. A, B, C, A, B, C. It's just expressions. It's just vibrations, right? So if it's just vibrations, then the word, let there be light, the word of God is just vibration. And what is vibration? Like with musical instruments, vibrating strings and things like that, it is well, it's musical, it's sacred, and it's obviously harmonious, hopefully. You can have music that isn't harmonious, but it's harmonious. At least in order to create the world, God would have had to have spoken a word that was harmonious, not destructive and not chaotic. 
he would have had to have brought the chaos to a halt and created order. That's what word of God means. It means creating order out of chaos and creating a harmonious world through speaking it into existence. And in spiritual terms, a lot of New Age belief systems, they practice this in a, in a, in a very literal sense, that if you believe it and you say it and you truly believe it when you say it, you'll manifest things. You'll just create things. So that's based on the idea that there is a word of God. God said, let there be light. And just break it down and pronounce the words. God said, let there be. It's vibration. It's all that it is at its core. Symbols that vibrate and have meaning. That's all language really is. Now, attempting to understand the word and all creation requires grounding in the physical. And it requires the necessity uh, the necessity of <clears throat> like looking beyond into the spiritual. So we have to abandon definitions. We have to understand what those words mean, but abandon the definitions in order that we can walk into the spiritual to get a better understanding of what it is that we call doctrine, dogma, religion, belief, tra- tradition, even, etc. And in order, to, in order to achieve this, we have to let ourselves be guided by spirit. And it doesn't matter what your belief system is, you might be guided by spirit more than you know. I mean, if you follow, you know, a certain practice where you're like, I, I do what, you know, the, the Quran says, or I do what the Bible says, or I do what this or what that said, or what the prophets say. I mean, you're basically following spirit because all the, all the greatest prophets, Muhammad, Jesus, those are the big ones. A lot of, a lot of conflict between the two. But those, those two prophets, where, where do you think they got their information from? I mean, Jesus is the son of God, right? So he was just a vessel on earth, a manifestation of the creator. He is just a vessel by which a transmission came through. It's coming from the spirit world, if you will. And this is Muhammad literally got his information from the spirit world. I mean, he, it was tra- he, I don't think Muhammad could even read or write. And the angel came to him and said, you're going you're gonna to write this down. He's like, I can't write. They said, well, uh, try again. And then suddenly he could write. He was basically an illiterate, and the spirit worked through him to produce uh, the Quran. It's the same thing with uh, Moroni and the transmission of information to a human. And it's something that you find in virtually every single, um, every single religion or foundational, foundational practice. Uh, whether it's Moses receiving the Ten Commandments or it's Joseph Smith receiving uh, revelations of what we would call later Mormonism, the angel Moroni giving him that information. Uh, it's the spirit world communicating and giving us this, this information, giving us this wisdom, which also going back to last night's show with that Ruth Bader Ginsburg statue, they say that she, they, they put her next to Moses and these other lawmakers. And it's like, she's not a lawmaker. She was a law interpreter. The Supreme Court doesn't make laws. Cong- Why can't people understand that? Congress makes the law, makes the laws. It makes me so mad. Congress makes the laws. The president doesn't make laws. The Supreme Court doesn't make laws. Congress makes the laws. Even if they're bad laws, Congress makes them. The Supreme Court can ultimately determine what is constitutional, which makes them interpreters of the law. They don't hand down the law. 
per se. Supreme Court makes bad decisions sometimes. But the point is, the, the idea of lawgiving, the idea of transmitting wisdom and knowledge in, in these capacities, uh, it's always done through unseen spiritual forces, and then that's gifted and given to man. So tonight on The Secret Teachings, in the second hour, we're going to look heavily into Shintoism, the domestic and indigenous religion of the Japanese, and how it's so similar to other practices around the world, and how it's also, because I've never studied Shinto, it's very similar to the secret teachings. In fact, it's almost like um, it's almost like a, a core principle as a practice itself of what this show is all about. So I want to share more of that with you tonight. I think you'll really find it fascinating. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More on Shinto after this. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is John Peasy at JohnPeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. From the occult and theology to history and the paranormal, The Secret Teachings radio show brings you that and more Monday through Friday on GroundZero.radio. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. If you're looking to learn more in 2023, then look no further than books from The Secret Teachings. The Technological Elixir explores UFOs, artificial intelligence, and demonic contracts in the entertainment industry. Liberty Shrugged is an illuminating and nonpartisan look into American history, focusing on natural law, slavery, and the war for independence. Food philosophy is not a diet book, but it does help alleviate confusion over food industry propaganda with specific focus on bizarre ingredients that are put into your foods. And Occult Arcana is a compendium of esoteric wisdom, from theology and sympathetic magic to witchcraft, voodoo, and the origins of holidays. Get physical and digital copies of these books only at www.thesecretteachings.info. And remember, all physical books also come with a digital copy as well. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can always listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on GroundZero.radio and for free in the monetized archives on our website or on any radio or podcast player. But you can also help support the show by subscribing to the ad-free archive with montages, digital books, and a private RSS feed. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today. Your support economically and energetically will keep us on air into the future. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is Laura. I'm from Las Vegas, and I listen to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable because he never fails to provide us with great information from various topics on which he's done extensive and thorough research to back them. Thank you for all that you do and all your hard work, Ryan, and thank you for sharing it with the rest of us. This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Why else would you show up with that thing on your back just three days before President Business is going to use the crackle to end the world? President Business is going to end the world? But he's such a good guy. And Octan, they make good stuff. Music, dairy products, coffee, TV shows, surveillance systems, all history books, voting machines. Wait a minute. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening. Think about your hero. When you're at ground zero And call up to the fall Back to me 
Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. listening to the secret teachings radio show i'm your host ryan gable you can find us five nights a week on ground zero radio or in the free archive some of you might be listening there now or you can find the free archive on our website at www.thesecretteachings.info if you listen to the show for free and you listen to those advertisements we get paid for that download the show we get paid for that but if you want to get rid of those ads you can subscribe to the ad free show on our website, you'll get access to the montages, my digital books, and more. I don't promote them enough, but if you've never seen any of the books that I've written, you can go to the website, you can read reviews, see pictures. These are big books, and they cover pretty much everything we discuss on The Secret Teachings. You have Occult Arcana, which is a massive, 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 massive compilation of occult and esoteric lore, mythology, everything from witchcraft to voodoo to Shintoism to you name it. It's probably in that book. And my book, The Technological Elixir, that has everything from UFOs and black goo to transhumanism. My other new book, Liberty Shrugged, I think uh, a lot of you will probably enjoy that book. Check all those books out at thesecretteachings.info. You'll also be able to buy physical and digital copies there. Uh, You get a digital copy with the physical copy if you buy it through the website directly. If you'd like to contact me for that reason, to ask questions, or for any reason, really... Just shoot me an email, don't be afraid. TSTradio at protonmail.com or rdgable at yahoo.com and try to keep the email short or at least understand that my response will probably be short because I get a lot of emails and I can't always deal with them immediately. So tonight on the broadcast, we started out the show talking about how India and how China are these vast, ancient, historical reservoirs of wisdom, of knowledge, of spiritualism, etc., etc. And yet, today, in the 21st century, India and China are some of the worst places to live on planet Earth. India is a caste system and a class system where a mass majority of the people live in poverty or close to poverty by some definition, And many people live in slums and conditions that are worse than your worst homeless camp in Portland or even here in Tucson. Slums that you can't imagine, where smallpox is still a common thing because of the lack of sanitation and hygiene and clean water and food and things like that. But this is a country with a basis, with a foundation, with an origin, and some of the most, even by today's standards, even... Even materialists have to acknowledge that that Hinduism is a super advanced spiritual system of veneration and, and belief and practice. In the same way that if you look at Confucius or you look at Buddha or you look at well, the modern practice of Fulongong in China, which is persecuted and prosecuted as well, more so persecuted, they just disappear you and take your organs. But China used to be a beautiful, beautiful place. I'm not saying parts of China can't be beautiful today. I'm saying the communist takeover destroyed the culture 
customs, traditions, what Mao called the four olds that had to be destroyed to replace the culture with something totally new, totally foreign. China had, has been conquered for 50 plus years and it's destroyed their spiritual practices. I'm not saying they don't have spiritual practices in China. I'm just saying that the state has replaced those practices. The powerful people that are at the top of the caste system in India have likewise replaced those practices. The powerful people that are perceptually in charge of the United States of America are not much different. They usurp the power of God. This is why people in power hate God, hate religion, and have no problem mocking it, despite otherwise maybe maybe paying lip service to it when they're trying to get quote-unquote elected. They don't like religion. That's why Hollywood and Washington, they hate God. Any concept of God. It's not just Christianity. A lot of what you're showing about Judaism, it's not really Judaism. It's the same thing with Islam. I mean, the stuff that the Bush administration told us about Islam, it's fundamentally false. It's outrageously false. I mean, what, what, what do you call a terrorist? It's somebody defending their home or their land from military aggression. To the military, that's a terrorist. To the terrorist, they're just defending their property. Something that is also kind of fundamentally a Western philosophy and the foundation of what we call the United States of America, ironically. But the people that are doing that and the people that are sending those troops to do that, this used to be a concern of liberals like myself who were you know, upset about ongoing conflicts and wars. We didn't like aggression. We didn't like invading countries that didn't do anything to us. We didn't like blood for oil. But you know, liberalism has, has left people like myself who used to be liberal. Uh, the point is, though, it's not the principles of America that are doing that. It's people that are avoiding those principles and not adhering to those principles. It's not Hinduism that creates uh, the stereotypical uh, Indian scam or con artist. It's not the practice of Buddhism that led to what we call Chinese communism. It's the opposition to those things. It's the attempt to destroy things that are beautiful and things that are vibrant and things that are good. And, and what is good, good is basically God. But there are some faiths or traditions or practices that don't really have a concept of what is good or evil, which when you first, you, you, you get an idea like that in your head and it's hard to process. For example, in Shinto or Shintoism, there is no right or wrong per se. There certainly is a right or wrong, but on the surface, there is no good or bad. And likewise, since there's no good or bad, take an O away from good, there is no God in Shinto and there is no devil. There is no Satan in Shinto either. You know, evil, add a D, you get devil. Those unfamiliar with the practice of Shinto, which is the indigenous tradition or practice, um, I guess you could call it one of those things. It is more of a lifestyle, maybe. But it's the indigenous lifestyle of Japan, which in the modern world is relatively new in terms of its interaction with the rest of the world. And there are still parts of Japan that are resistant to international involvement. And arguably, rightfully so. I can see both parts of that, that Japanese question of refusing to participate in the rest of the world and those that want to be part of the rest of the world. So you can't 
whether we're looking at Japan as a country or Japanese as a culture, Japanese people, or we're looking at the indigenous faith of the Japanese, which is Shintoism, there's always people that are going to are going to disagree. So those unfamiliar with Shinto probably find I certainly found it peculiar, uh, not uh, not negative or not. I had to I had to read about it and learn about it to really understand it. Uh, that there really isn't a system of uh, belief like a lot of other religions. It's even different than Buddhism. Uh, there, there are lots of differences between Shintoism and maybe what you believe. Uh, and maybe it's due to its Eastern appeal, which is, you know, of course, a very popular thing. I mean, look at any vegan restaurant, any natural whole foods type restaurant or store or whatever. You always get the, the Buddhist prayer flags and you always get the Ganesh statues, which is the elephant statue, if you don't know. Um, he's basically a moon god, uh, Ganesh. But that's a whole nother, whole nother story. I would imagine that most of the people working at those places don't know don't don't know what Ganesh is, um, but I know that because I've also asked. They don't know what. Oh, it's just it's it's a, it's it's a, it's a statue. It's a, well, I know it's a statue, but what is it? I mean, they even have. Um, I think these people actually know what it is, but there's a giant phallic uh, stone at this restaurant in uh, uh, northern Arizona, up in um, up in uh, what's the name of the town? Sedona. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot Sedona. Up in Sedona, there's a restaurant there. They've got this big phallic uh, piece. That's it's basically the phallus of um, well, numerous Hindu gods, but it's the phallus of Krishna. And uh, I just don't understand how Hinduism gets brought into all these all these types of things. But I, I guess the food thing is it makes sense. But more to the point, whether it's an Eastern appeal or it's because Shinto has none of the hallmarks of a classical religion that most of us know. It's a peculiar thing. Shinto has neither a devil nor a deity likened to Satan, uh, but there are Japanese names for these characters. For example, the Oni. The Oni are described as ogres, orcs, uh, trolls, demons, or just a general devil. In Japanese folklore, this oni is a type of yokai described as a sort of fairy, sprite, demon, or other supernatural entity. So they do have, in both Shintoism and Japanese culture, which Shintoism came out of Buddhism, but it also, its peculiar uh, peculiarities and uniqueness is mainly due to the Japanese culture, more so than Buddhism, from what I can tell from, from studying it. And they have these concepts, obviously. They have the Oni and the Yokai. These are spirits, demons. It's basically general names applied to things that, you know, like as, as English speakers, we would call them trolls would be different, orcs, ogres. I mean, they might be referred to as earth spirits or things like that, but we have different names. In Japan, they're all pretty much the same. The Oni are kind of these heavy, weightful spirits, and they're a type of Yokai which are the fairies and sprites, demons, but demons also demonist Greek daemon. It, it doesn't necessarily mean an evil spirit. It actually is angelic in nature or divine. Demons and angels are both divine. The highest powerful demon is subservient to the lowest powerful angel, but they're all part of the same thing. Uh, yokai, that's Y-O, an extended O, Yokai, and then Oni. There's also another uh, name for kind of like a devil or a demon, 
probably the closest thing that we would have to Satan. Uh, and the Japanese call it Akuma, Akuma. And that applies to the devil as a demon and to the character we know as Satan, or in the Hebrew, it's Shaitan. Shaitan is just the adversary or the accuser. So Satan is very arguably different than the devil. Shintoism likewise has no polarizing and often very confusing uh, non-polarizing aspect like light and warmth of heaven as opposed to a bright, fiery pit like hell, which is traditionally an ice palace. But Shintoism has no polarizing uh, and often confusing non-polarizing version of heaven or hell. Here the Japanese names are Sora, which is just sky, Sora, Sora is sky, and that is, you know, the idea of heaven. Um, even Christians don't necessarily refer to heaven as heaven all the time. It's like it's it's like the sky, it's up there. That's how we, I guess in the third dimension, that's how we describe what is up there, what is down there. Hell is in the earth, heaven is space and the cosmos, I suppose. So Sora is the sky, S-O-R-A, if you're looking to look up the Japanese. I hate when people say stuff on shows and then you don't know how how to pronounce it, how to say it, and then, of course, how to spell it. So that's why I like to spell things. Sora, Sora, sky, S-O-R-A, very simple. And then their version of heaven is Tengoku, Tengoku, T-E-N-G-O-K-U, Ten, so Tengoku, Tengoku. And then they also have kind of like a hell. It's called the Ji, J-I, Ji Goku. It's kind of like hell. So Tengoku and Ji Goku is like heaven and hell. Uh, Also the word Yomi applies to hell. It's basically the Japanese underworld. And interestingly, speaking of India earlier, there is a Indian underworld called Yama. And it's very, very similar to Yomi in Japanese. So their scholars have also, like mainline scholars, have remarked on the similarity between the Japanese underworld and the Indian underworld, which also, and you would imagine this to be the case if you've listened to the secret teachings, very, very similar to the story of Persephone, uh, who goes to the underworld and who consumes a piece of, um, piece of, usually it's a pomegranate, but a piece of food. And then she has to stay in the underworld for a certain amount of time based on the amount of food that she ate. And when you study the specifics of it, what it's actually a story of is the changing of the seasons, the changing of the, the, the changing of the seasonal guard, if you will. In, in other words, she has to stay in the underworld for a certain amount of time. And during that amount of time, Her mother, Demeter, is very upset and distraught because her daughter is gone in the underworld, kidnapped by Hades, who is riding a black horse. Uh, So that's the fall months falling into the wintertime and uh, the death of the earth. So you get the four horses of the apocalypse. And so she's really upset. She allows the plants and the trees and all that to die during the winter months. And then uh, Persephone comes back in the spring and she's really, really happy and her mom's happy and so all the plants and everything uh, comes back to life. It's pretty that simple. And in uh, Japan, they have a similar kind of a story. There's a story of Izanami and Izanagi or Izanami no Makoto and Izanagi no Makoto and they share a similar relationship. Izanami is the wife slash uh, sister, just like Isis and Osiris, same kind of a thing. 
uh, and Izanami and Izanagi, they have this relationship. They're creating the world. They create the islands of Japan. They create Amaterasu. My favorite, if I have to pick a goddess, Isis and Amaterasu are very close. I like Amaterasu, uh, much older than Christianity. She spent uh, time in a cave for three days, res- was resurrected, came back to life, brought light and life back to the world. And that's what the, um, not to get too far off track here, but that's what the traditions in the mystery schools are all about. It's about reliving that that experience of the sun in the celestial cave or Jesus on the cross in the cave and being resurrected. So in the story, uh, Izanami goes into the underworld and Izanagi, her husband, brother, is distraught. So he goes to the underworld to try to retrieve her, just like Demeter and Persephone. And he says, we haven't finished creating the world. Please come back. But she's unable to come back because she ate something in the underworld. It's the same story which is fascinating. It's the same story in India. It's the same story in Japan. It's the same story in ancient Greece, which certainly got their information from very likely the Indus Valley and you know the Eastern world. But it's the same story. And in fact, there's very similar stories in, in South and Central America as well, for that matter. Um, like Zibalba, the story of Zibalba and the, and the, um, the, the two children in that story. We've talked about that before. Very, very similar. And if you've ever seen Pond's Labyrinth, what's her, what's the girl's name? Ophelia, I think it is. She goes to the Pale Man's Lair, and she's told by by the goat, and she's got these little fairy things, nymph things with her. They tell her not to eat the food, because she'll get trapped in the Pale Man's Lair. And she, you see all the shoes of the kids that he's eaten. So that's kind of the that's kind of the same idea. And you get this, the point is you get this in Japan, a country that's been locked off from the rest of the world for a very long time. Although the Jomon culture, going back tens of thousands of years, they are, I mean, officially, they, uh, archaeologists believe that the Jomon, supposedly a primitive people, they traveled all the way to South America. So it's, that's a whole other story, but it's quite fascinating. Uh, just to mention that point, it gets the, the wheels and the brain and the, and the mind turning. So Shinto doesn't really have a god or a devil, but they do have the Oni, which are a kind of yokai. They do have kind of like a devil character, the Akuma. They also don't really have a heaven or a hell. You refer to heaven as Sora, which is sky, or Tengoku, which is heaven, or Jigoku, which is hell. And of course, they do have an underworld. It's just not the same as maybe the Christian underworld. It's called Yomi, and it's almost identical to the Indian version, which is Yama. Now, Sin as we know, sin is not really a factor in Shinto either, though there is a word for the concept. There is a word for Shinto, just like there's a word for the devil, just like there's a word for uh, kind of like a word for God or something to that effect. Uh, But there certainly is no, there's no original sin or something like that, which is pretty, pretty important because sin is used to make people feel, well, make people feel bad. Uh, make people feel as if they've victimized others or they've done something terribly wrong just by being born. Like that doesn't exist in Shinto and it doesn't certainly doesn't exist in, in Japanese society in the same way. That I'd say if there's any kind of original sin in Japan, it's more about the shikata. It's more so than than uh, their word for sin or it, it means a lot of things. Vice, uh, crime, sin, like seven deadly sins. It's zayaku. Zayaku, it's Z-A-I-A-K-U, Zayaku, Zaiku, Zaiku, which can be translated invariably to guilt. Uh, the only guilt or sin in Shinto 
there really isn't guilt or sin, but if you have to kind of try to find a parallel, it's basically the neglect of your divine responsibilities. Neglecting divinities, uh, neglecting spirits, uh, and deities which inhabit the unseen realms. And you already know who these beings are. These beings, including ancestral spirits, are called the kami. Kami. K-A-M-I. I'm studying Japanese and I find it like Legos. I find it very easy. It's kami. Kami. You say it together, though. Kami. Uh, and then there are certain uh, uh, words that are broken apart, so you say them separately. I find Japanese pretty easy. What I find very hard is uh, modern English, which has deteriorated to the point where, as my friend William Sweeney said, he said it's English is hardly commanded by anybody. People can barely speak English at all. And it's true. People can barely speak English on average. So all the evil and all the sin in the world is a result of the kami. But all the good in the world is also a result of the kami. So they're not really good or bad. And therefore, Shinto is concerned with harmonizing the self with the natural world both of which in Shinto are inherently good. So for those of you who listen to the secret teachings and you might have those questions, why is God allowing X, Y, Z to happen? Why does God allow this? Why do God, you know, why does God or why do the gods allow people to suffer? Why is there pain? Why all these things? Uh, Western philosophy and even some Eastern philosophy like Buddhism, especially Buddhism famously, of course, Buddhism would say that the suffering is part of the way that we learn and we grow. And I certainly agree with that. I, I, I agree that suffering helps us. Uh, hard times help us as long as we do the right thing to, to evolve spiritually with those experiences and do the right thing next time if we make a mistake. But in Shinto, there really isn't that idea. In Shintoism, there really isn't this idea that the world is bad. It's inherently positive. Inherently, all people are good. Inherently, the natural world is good. Inherently, there really is no, there really is no negativity or darkness or suffering. That comes from, if it does exist, it comes from certain kami that have not been appeased. Now, this is really interesting. In other words, all the spirits, the oni, the yokai, the kami, all the kami are not really good or evil. They could be either. It's like Schrodinger's box for spirits. Okay, it's like Schrodinger, called Schrodinger's kami. Because they're not really good or bad. It's when you don't do your due diligence in honoring the ancestors, honoring the spirits of the land, etc. That's when they become less protective. And that's when they become more what we would call evil. Or in essence, they're not becoming evil. They're just punishing us because we've sinned by not honoring the land, by not honoring the our family, and by our ancestors, not honoring... Uh, uh, the the structure of our culture or society, whatever it is. I mean, in Japan, this is an indigenous religion of Japan, but we could apply it to any of our situations. So the whole point is there's no really bad or good. Everybody's really good. And that's hard to kind of conceptualize in the West. But I think from what I understand from learning about Shinto, it resonates very heavy with me because this is basically what I've already, I've already believed. I, I think the world is inherently good, and when people do bad things, it doesn't mean the world's bad. It just means that they're neglecting their responsibilities as humans. And this makes this makes people violent. This makes people aggressive. This makes people depressed and suicidal. And th th I mean, for me, that's 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 why I'm so attentive with my work. And I feel that if I'm not 
creating something and I'm not doing it the right way all the time. You know, in the West, that's seen as very, you know, it's like chill out, relax, but not in the East, especially not in Japan. That's why I, Japanese culture really resonates with me. Uh, and it's, it's largely because of Shintoism, because it's like you do the right thing and doesn't matter people are looking, which is a Western concept as well. And if you're not appeasing that spiritual side of yourself, that's when there, there can exist some form of evil. But, you know, that evil is not really evil. And some, I think it's a more, Shintoism is a more pure version of, let's say, what Meister Eckhart said, the German mystic, he, and even uh, 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 Mark Booth, Jonathan Black, who wrote The Secret History of the World. Their, their ideas were that the demons are really positive spirits or angels. We, we call them demons when they act in this way, but we make them act that way. We make them act negatively. We make them rip us apart and tear us apart and, and, and haunt us, if you will. Because they're trying to absorb all of the negativity and the darkness, which is the whole point of the Egyptian religion, right? You have to let go of your worldly desires and all the weight of, of the world. That's the weighing of the heart against the feather by Anubis. Um, I mean, hell, if you look at pop culture, look at Florence Welsh, Florence and the Machine. Her song, Dog Days of Summer, are literally about this. You'll have to leave all your love and your longing behind. You can't carry it with you if you want to survive. If you want to survive in the afterlife, if you will, the new world, resurrection, all these things, you have to leave behind everything in this world. You can't have a heavy heart. So all these things, these are present concepts in every part of the world, but in Shintoism, it's reduced to this super pure, refined thing, which is also part and parcel of the Japanese culture itself. So no wonder Shintoism evolved in the way that it did there. Likewise, there's no dogma in Shinto. And the practice doesn't have, therefore, any sacred texts. There's the Kojiki. The Kojiki is called the Record of Ancient Matters. And then there's the Nihongi or the Nihon Shoki, which is the Chronicles of Japan. And that's really all that there is. Um, they focus basically on the origins of the imperial throne, clan lineage, and they provide some background information for Japanese culture. And except for a few classes on history and morals, Religious education in Japan, which if you you hear it referred to as Nihon, that that's the the word for Japan. Japan also had other uh, other original names. Uh, I think Japan was also called Yama or Yamato. I think it's Yamato Yamato or something was an old name for Japan, um, and it meant something to or is written something to the effect of Daiwa, which is great harmony. So Japan has a lot of different names. It's Japan. Yapan, Yapan, Nihon, Nihong, uh, Nihongo is the is like Japanese culture, or Daiwa, or Yamato. So there's a lot of different names, but uh, Nihon Shoki is the chronicles of of Japan. So many other religions, particularly those of large institutional varieties, because there's no god, there's no devil, there's really no evil unless you create it, which is also in other parts of the of the world, other cultures, other religions, other traditions. A lot of people might see, and I can see this perspective too because I grew up like this, you might see Shinto as a barbaric practice akin to paganism, especially when we get into the next segment and we talk about where Shinto is practiced. It sounds a lot like Wiccanism, paganism, earth-based religions, or for some people just barbaric, uh, but I promise you that it's not. And likewise, because of the, the lack of God and the devil and all these things, the lack of good and evil and traditional Western concepts, a lot of people might think Shintoism is almost like a, a soulless or evil practice. 
but it's the very opposite of that. It might not even be opposite. It might just be totally different. It's not really one way or another. It's just totally different. But I find it fascinating. I find Shintoism fascinating. I hope that you're enjoying tonight's show. There's a lot more and a lot of detail when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Final segment coming up after this. It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on GroundZero.radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player, or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to the secret teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's the secret teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. This is David John Oates from ReverseSpeech.com. You are listening to The Secret Teaching with Ron Gable. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. There are so many religions and faiths and beliefs and practices in the world. Hinduism, for example, is a foundation of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, to a large extent. Most of the world's major religions go back to semi or central, semi-central or central sources. A lot of the same concepts that we have in the West are also present in the East. They might be described in different ways. They might be described in ways that don't even make sense, but they're basically coming from the same place. Human beings, whether in uncontacted tribes or countries that, well, according to mainstream archaeology and history, never had much contact with one another, cultures that never had much much contact with one another, but they shared some of the same beliefs and discovered some of the same things about nature and therefore crafted a their belief systems, their practices, their rituals, ceremonies, etc., around those those um, same uh, identifiable features of nature and of life. Most religions, particularly those of an institutional variety, might see practices like certainly like Buddhism as being almost pagan-like, 
Uh, I sort of identified as a Buddhist a very long time ago when I I stopped identifying as a Christian because I was I grew up Christian. I thought that's who I was. I took a look at Islam, Judaism. Nothing really resonated with me, um, and I don't think you know religion is a thing where anybody has the the one right way. I think that is certainly not uh, what Jesus taught. Jesus taught he is the way. It doesn't mean the institution is the way. It means the the actions and the ways that you interact, that's the way. And the way is harmony with nature, harmony with other people. And in that capacity, Jesus is basically a teacher that could be associated with the kami, which are the spirits of the indigenous belief and practice of Japan. The kami are the spirits that aren't really good. They're not really evil. Uh, They have the oni, which are like ogres and orcs and goblins and things like that. They have the yokai. The yokai are kind of like sprites and fairies. They have the akuma, which is sort of like the devil or Satan. But the kami, the spirits, they're not really good or evil. It's only when they're provoked that they do things that we would call evil. And the only way to provoke them is by committing a sin. And committing a sin, which otherwise doesn't exist in Shintoism... A sin is just neglecting your responsibilities, which is also part of the Japanese cultural tradition, uh, neglecting doing things in a certain way, uh, neglecting your responsibilities, etc. And this is sort of separate, but also sort of similar. Uh, it's called shikata, uh, which basically means shikata is kind of like a, it's translated as support or um, basically following a certain form. In other words, shikata is a way of doing things. Uh, could be the Japanese way, a way of eating, a way of arranging food on a, on a, uh, on a tray, uh, a way of worshiping, a way of doing a lot of things, etc. cetera. Uh, and the shikata, or just kata, which is the form by which you do things, is in Japanese society and Japanese culture, outside of Shintoism, but it's very closely linked to Shintoism, they believe there's an inner order and an outer order. And you have to harmonize the cosmos with your heart. And the heart is referred to as the honshin, which is the true heart. And the honshin is the same as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it, you might disagree or some people might disagree. But the honshin, the true heart, is basically know thyself. It's basically the heart weighed against the feather in the Egyptian underworld. The Honshin is the true heart. So if you can harmonize the true heart with the cosmos, you get this connection to kata. You get this idea of how things should be done, how things should be, how how behaviors and actions should be conducted. And therefore, the foundation of Japanese society has always been the promotion of wa or harmony. And within Japanese society, and certainly this is not all spiritual, a lot of this has to do with shogun governments, a lot of this has to do with, with emperors and politics and trying to keep people in order and in line, but it's the idea of life roles, or boon. The life roles and the, and the giri, which are obligations. So the boon and the giri, life roles and obligations that you have to fulfill. And if you don't fulfill them, well, you get this thing that is very alien and foreign in the West, but if you don't fill your obligations and you don't fulfill your life roles and you don't do things in the kata way or the shikata way, although Japan is not 
what it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Uh, it's this idea of shame and ostracization from society. And the only acceptable form traditionally, which is one of these things that made Japan infamous, I think, in some ways to some people, is this idea of suicide. I mean, they have a whole, they have a, 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 for, a, suicide, a suicide forest in Japan where people go and it's considered acceptable to kill yourself. Now, on the surface, that seems totally insane. It seems just contrary to everything that is logical. But there's a reason behind it. It's not just go kill yourself because you, you messed something up. It's the idea that you should be conducting yourself with proper behavior, honesty, integrity, goodwill, trust, confidence, etc. Selflessness. And if you're not doing those things and you're what we would just call a, a bad person, the only, you know, if you wrong an individual, it's not the individual that you have an issue with. Now it's all of society that has an issue with you. And that's not something that's uniquely Japanese, although the Japanese might disagree with it. I mean, this is an idea that, that um, I feel the same way. And I don't feel that it's opposed to Western philosophies um, and the idea of, of, you know, like, for example, John Locke and natural law and having people, you know, face their accuser. And it's not opposed to that. It's the idea that you do something wrong. Like if someone does something criminal to you and they harm you and they do it intentionally with malice, that person does not deserve the sympathy of you or anybody else. That's, that's how I see things. And that's how traditionally the Japanese have seen things. And that's how a lot of you probably see things. I mean, that's, a lot, that's how a lot of conservatives, political conservatives see things. Criminals do not deserve your kindness. Criminals deserve to face punishment for the crimes they've committed. Now, in the West, we handle that a little bit differently. We don't see suicide as a viable option in Japan. It has traditionally been a viable option to save face. So Shintoism sort of grew out of, in part, not, ex not exclusively, but out of Buddhism and out of this traditional Japanese way called shikata. And that way is just doing things with integrity, doing things honestly, doing things the way they should be done to harmonize the heart or the honshin, the true heart, knowing thyself with the cosmos. This is an idea that is taught in Christianity. It's an idea that's taught in Islam. It's an idea that's taught in Judaism. And it could be super politicized and institutionalized. So do things the way. Well, the way of what? Well, the way the Bible says. Well, what is the way the Bible says? How we interpret it. Well, that's not the way. That's just the way you want me to do it. The way is doing things like in Shinto. I mean, Jesus basically taught, in essence, what Shintoism is. And if you're just joining us, we're just focusing on Shinto tonight because not a lot of people know about this. I've been studying it recently and I wanted to share it with you and its relationship with the secret teachings. Jesus basically taught what Shintoism is and what you know Shikata is or what Kata is. Do things in harmony with nature. Don't harm other people. Fulfill your obligations. Do what you say you're going to do. Do things the right way, generally speaking. And when you don't do those things and you neglect to do those things intentionally, that's when in traditional Japanese society, you are ostracized or in the case of Shinto, that's when the kami come after you. That's when you've sinned. You've neglected your duties. So that's why Shintoism and Japanese culture, they, they mesh well together. And they're, they're coming out of each other and they're harmonizing also with each other. 
But some may see Shinto as pagan due to the fact that there's no core belief in the danger of materiality. This is something I, this is one of the major things that I learned in Shinto that I did not know. For those unfamiliar with the matter, no pun intended, it suffices to say that Shinto allows for desire, which in the West, desire is, and in occultism, traditionally in the West, occultism and esotericism, desire is what leads to the downfall of man in the garden. The desire to be like God, the desire to have the thing that is forbidden, etc. But Shinto allows for desire. Now, this is really peculiar and really interesting. And for me, as a student of religion and everything else, I find this utterly fascinating because Shinto allows for desire so long as it serves the kami. Now, that doesn't mean blindly believing in some demon or spirit. If you think that, then you don't understand what Shintoism is. It's, hard, it's a hard thing to describe anyway. Shinto practitioners can't even really describe it. I can't even really describe it. I'm certainly not a practitioner. I can't describe it in a scholarly form. Practitioners can't even fully describe it. It's a, it's a, it's a system of being. It's a system of, of practice. But Shinto allows for desire. Now, we would say desire leads to, to the fall of man. But as long as you're serving the kami, i.e., you are harmonizing with what others call nature and God, then it's not a problem. Because you can have nice things in the physical world. This is what separates it from Buddhism. Uh, and even in some parts from Christianity, depending on what denomination of Christian you are, you can have nice things as long as that doesn't define who you are. If the desire is to have nice things to do harm or to define who you are and you're neglecting your responsibilities and duties, that's when it becomes evil they don't have really have much of a concept for that, but that's when the kami become what we would consider to be demonic, which is really what angels and demons are. The angels are there to protect us. The demons are too, just in a different way. In other words, material goods are not necessarily seen as evil, but their absence does not imply spiritual progress. Regardless of the condition of possession or desire, so long as you are serving the kami in Shinto, then all else is secondary. And that makes sense. There's no reason you can't have things. It's just as long as you're fulfilling your obligations. Um, but that doesn't imply or suggest or factually state that Shinto allows for evil. Some people interpret physical material possessions as evil. On the contrary, it's the absence of what we may call evil. Uh, Shinto is absent of, I guess, what we would call in the West evil. So to serve the kami means to harmonize with nature and contribute to society by fulfilling your obligations to family, community, country, and your ancestors. In other words, this is basically uh, the shikata and the usage of the true heart, the honshin, in order to harmonize with, with nature. And you do that by following the kata and by following the boon and the giri. The kata is the way of doing things which is harmonious. The boon is life rolls. That's B-U-N, like bun, but boon, life rolls. And the giri, which are the obligations that you must fulfill. And if you do those things in harmony with nature, then you're in harmony with the kami and, and you are protected. And that that's the idea. And I, I, I'm imagining, I don't know for sure, but I'm imagining that for a lot of Shinto practitioners, these things are very real, but they're also very conceptual. Shinto, at its foundational core, encourages a need for the spirit or soul 
which is a word meaning uh, soul, the Rayicon, Ray, R-E-I, so it's E, Ray, E, Koten, Rayicon, the spirit of an individual to be harmonized with nature and the kami, which are usually translated, if not as spirits, because they're spirits, they are called holy powers. So you're unionizing with nature, which is an expression of, of divinity and holy powers. As with so many other practices and traditions and religions, the practice of Shinto maintains, as I said, a version of the biblical description of Jesus Christ in John 14, 6, which reads, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and also the light. The word Shinto means kami way. The word can be broken down into shin and to, pronounced to like your big toe. Shin is a given name relating to the kami, and to or do relates to michi, michi, which is the way. So it literally means a kami way. And a kami is not a specific spirit. There's a kami of pouring water, for example, the spirit or the essence of pouring water. In the same way the Romans and the Greeks saw, or even the, the Sumerians, Babylonians, Akkadians, you name it, they had signatures and uh, energies and magical numbers and squares associated with planets. Like Saturn has its own essence, its own associations, just like Mars and Jupiter and, and you name it. Kind of the same thing, the kami way, doing things the way there's a way to pour tea, there's a way to pour water, there's a way to do this, there's a way to do that. Uh, the former word, also michi, the way, can also translate to true. Because in, like in Chinese and Japanese, I, I don't know as much about Korean, but maybe in Korean as well, the, the, a lot of the words are more conceptual ideas. They don't just have multiple meanings, uh, especially the, the kanji uh, and the Chinese characters where a lot of the kanji come from. These are they're concepts. They're not so many like so, so much words that can be directly translated. They're concepts. So doing things in the kami way means doing things in a way that is true, like the honshin, the true heart. Doing what you know is true. So basically, Shintoism could mean kami way or the true way. Therefore, the truth, because that's a word that gets played with way too much nowadays. The truth found in Shinto is not the truth that this is the only religion, because it's not a religion. The truth is harmony. Just as it is the harmony of the bell, or bell, kane in Japanese, or suzu, I think, is if it's a larger bell, which works to calm with love the animal, or the prince trapped in the matter of a beast. It is the bell, or bell, which works to calm with love the animal, a prince trapped in the matter of a beast in the story of beauty and the beast. That's the truth, harmony. And there's a really fascinating book called Jesus Christ, Son of God. If you can find a copy of that book, especially if you like music, this and well, even math and geometry, this book is, I read this five or six years ago, super fascinating, and it's all about the occult nature of music and uh, Pythagoras with mathematics. Um, it's a little bit of symbolism in the book, but it deals with what harmony is. Uh, the sacred geometry, vibrations, and things. It's super fascinating. It's really, really great book. And that is, again, uh, let me see if I can find it. Jesus Christ, Son of God, but it's spelled S-U-N. 
Now, Shinto deals with mystical rules of nature and how the individual can be harmonized with those mystical rules of nature while still allowing for a collating of all other faiths. Shintoism allows for other faiths. In his book Shinto, the Kami Way, Dr. Sokyo Ono describes how Shinto is an all-inclusive term embracing the various faiths which are comprehended in the Kami idea. So we're dealing with a traditional practice that involves the adherence to certain ideas, attitudes, and ways, the Kami way, the true way of living life and interacting with nature, community, etc. Shinto has also, as some might assume or infer, changed and adapted to the times while still maintaining the true way, for the most part, of doing things. So it's very adaptable. Uh, Despite cultural influences, invasion and war, or religious opposition, even though Shinto isn't a religion, it's remained fundamentally unchanged, although it's made certain concessions in the 20th century. Dr. Ono writes that the purpose of Shinto, as an all-inclusive term, is to use worship, suhai, to, quote, unite and harmonize the various kinds of kami. Therefore, he says, quote, spirit of tolerance and cooperation is hitherto unnoticed aspect, or an hitherto unnoticed aspect of Shinto. It means respect, worship, honor, all those things that we talk about in Western philosophy and tradition. When you have those things, you have a better world. You get America as one of the most powerful, wealthy countries in the history of the world because of the experiment in self-government and well, honor, respect, dignity, morals, ethics, etc. When you don't have those things, that's when pfft, things go down the toilet. And it's the same whether it's here or it's in Europe or it's in Asia, it doesn't matter. It's just how you create civilization. Um, when Dr. Ono talks about the suhai, suhai, which is like worship, it's not worship in the way that we might think of worship. It's more of paying your respect, or it suhai also means respect wholeheartedly. I think it can translate as respect for the divine, uh, something that's often lost in other religions concerned exclusively with worshiping based on dogma and doctrine. So if Shinto actually teaches anything, it would be that the world and creation are not in contrast with man, that man is blessed by the kami, and that life is inherently good. And in order to fully absorb the highly developed spiritualism of this and other similar traditions, we have to abandon the ego and our assumptive definitions of words. You have to know yourself and you have to simply be, like in Buddhism. Shinto also teaches the collective of man, not in a communistic way or a communistic way, but it teaches collective in the sense of doing things that benefit other people and helping others, this is what Jesus taught. This is not shouldn't be a new thing for some of you if you're interested in this. It promotes general welfare, it promotes community and nature and the core of human society. Shintoism promotes at its core family and of course worship of your ancestors, or not worship, but not suai, but more so honoring. And um, you know, since our lives are full of natural and divine blessings. One of the most positive things you could probably believe. It's only appropriate, thus, that man, mankind, as Dr. Ono writes, must accept his obligations to society and contribute to the vital development of all things entrusted to him. That is the purpose of Shinto. 
Now, Shintoism is practiced typically among nature, traditionally among nature. Among the Yama, the mountains, there's plenty of sacred mountains in Japan, you know, Fuji, Haku, uh, Haguro, Yudono, Miwa, famous mountains, which is just like with the, you know, the Moses, um, Mount Sinai, was given the Ten Commandments, Noah's Ark came to rest under the protection of God uh, on top of a mountain, which is the uh, Mount Ararat, the conduit between heaven and earth. And it's not just Shinto, it's just Japanese tradition as well to, to honor the sacred mountains. The mountains are basically the triangle that goes up, the phallus, the fire, and then the hand of God, if you will, the chalice, the water that comes down, it connects, it's Solomon's seal. Mountains are a place of, of, of divinity and things like that. So you get a lot of Shinto shrines on top of mountains, at the base of mountains, but just anywhere you find natural beauty, large rocks, which is part of the rock cult of in, indigenous Japan and the, Yom, and the, 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 uh, the Jomen culture, uh, the uh, groves and caves, which you find, whether that's in Mithraism or that's in Christianity. Jesus was born in a cave, not a manger. Uh, he was born not in a stable. He was born in a cave, in a grotto. A grotto is the original definition. Uh, basically anywhere in nature. And the Japanese have a word for this. Rei-i-zan. R-E-I-Z-A-N. Rei-zan. Which means sacred mountain. Or there's another word. Shintaizan. Which means divine body mountain. The body basically becomes a kami, or a kami inhabits it, etc. Something to that effect. So these shrines are usually placed in places like mountains and beautiful areas and forests and nature and things like that. And there's different kinds of Shinto too. There's shrine Shintos, the oldest Shinto. There were shrines in Japan even before Japan was Japan. Popular Shinto, kind of everyday life Shinto, kind of pop culture, not a pop culture, but kind of like a pop culture, just a popular version uh, there's domestic Shinto practice at home, sectarian Shinto, which was once it was nationalized uh, for for some time, uh, and then there's state Shinto, which is like a combination of shrine Shinto and then in household imperial Shinto, which is like what the imperial family practiced, and then there's the grand shrine of Ise, and that is in relationship to Amaterasu Omikami, uh, which is um, the daughter of Izanagi and Izanami the founding creator deities of Japan and Amaterasu is akin to Isis. I mean, even Isa, like the Giza plateau, Giza, Giza, Isa, same kind of, even the, the priestesses of Isa and um, uh, of Isis in Egypt, they, they use the same kind of little rattle type wands. Really, it's really fascinating because again, like Japan and Egypt, they seem like totally different parts of the world. I completely isolated from each other and, same kind of instruments and some kind of of, uh, of practices in the same way that you go to South and Central America, they have the same practices they had in Egypt as well. But I guess it would it would make sense. I mean, if the, if the, the Jomen made it to Brazil, then the Egyptians, who were definitely seafaring people to some extent, which is weird in the desert, they had these big boats they built, uh, more than just symbolic boats in the afterlife. And very likely that they, as well as the people of Malta, they were all seafaring people that... They mapped the world, they knew longitude, and, and, and um, they knew these things without the assistance of, we can assume, without the assistance of sky vehicles, planes, helicopters, longitude, latitude, etc. That's a whole other story, but uh, very fascinating history. When you go into the uh, shrine to worship, you go through the Tori, the Tori, 
Uh, Tori is bird in Japanese, but they add an extra I, T-O-R-I, T-O-R-I-I for the Tori, which is the entrance way to the shrine. You've seen these at Japanese restaurants. It's a portal and it transports you into the Kami realm uh, and you go through a purification fountain uh, they have the they have lion and dog statues which act as guardians, which you'll find that in South Central America, in the Middle East, in Egypt, the Sphinx, etc. The tarot cards have it. Uh, the guardians of the secrets, the guardians of wisdom, like the owls, the guardians of knowledge. Um, they have uh, fences and, and within fences, so it's kind of boxed off. And the entrance way into the shrine, once you get into it, it leads you to uh, the worship hall or the uh, the Hayden. And then there's another inner fence. And when you get into the main sanctuary, the Honden, you get what is the Holy of Holies, just like Solomon's temple. And then the inner chamber preserves a symbol representing the body or the Shintai of the Kami being honored. That Shintai is basically the body of the of the spirit. If you remove it, then the divinity of the temple disappears and it's it's just a temple. Um, but within the the complex, those in nature. Uh, forests are very sacred, which you find that in every culture for the most part. Forests are very sacred. And the the idea of the forest in relationship to the sacred, the wise trees, etc. Uh, it's interesting because the, the practice of, let's say, Wiccanism or paganism, you know, very earth-based, very tree-based even, um, you get these sacred trees in like every tradition, like the tamarisk tree uh, in... In, uh, in Egypt with Osiris, uh, you get the sacred tree of Shintoism, which is kind of like an, it's like an evergreen, um, an evergreen tree that is very, very sacred. You give little tiny branches of it to the kami. Uh, trees embody the gods, embody the goddesses, and this is true all throughout the world. Man was seeing the same thing in, in, in ancient, ancient Japan before it was Japan as people were seen in Europe, people were seen in what we call the Americas. Humans are seeing the same thing and they're just developing, um, developing different belief systems and practices. But the practice of, of the, the, the forest with the grove kind of invokes this idea of like witchcraft or evil. But it's always been the very opposite of that. And if you're a Christian and believe that, then you just, you don't know what, Wiccanism is you don't know what witchcraft is. I'm not saying those things like witchcraft is not necessarily all good, but certainly it's not all bad either. And certainly uh, Shintoism is not all all bad either. In fact, I don't think any of it's bad. It's all pretty positive. Um, and therefore, we have to remember that Shinto relies on visual and sensory experiences, which is really for a lot of you listening, for myself as well. It feels it's very ritualistic. It's very much like Catholicism. It relies on visual and sensory uh, temptations, if you will. But that's not a good word to use. We should say stimulation uh, that derive from traditional rites and natural phenomena instead of theological dogma. And thus the Kami faith is one that is maintained through the observance of traditional ways rather than by overt propaganda. And salvation, there is salvation in Shintoism. Salvation is kind of like the idea of nirvana. It's the harmonious development of the world. In effect, Shinto is the purest essence of the secret teachings. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please listen to the show five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. 
or listen to the show in the free archive on our website or anywhere else you listen to radio shows or podcasts. When you listen, you have those advertisements. It's kind of annoying, but we get paid for that. So that supports us or just subscribe to the ad-free archive at www.thesecretteachings.info. Get my book, Occult Arcana. A lot of what we talked about tonight is in that book. You can read reviews and see the book again on the website, thesecretteachings.info. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Don't be afraid, be informed. And as always, we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Thank you.